family of origin. He was overlooked. He was openly disliked. Um, he was often ignored. He wasn't thought of. Um, he didn't have a fantastic childhood. He spent a lot of time on his own. And in that place, we see the anchor that formed. He really dug into who is God? Why can I trust him? As David was in that shepherd role, it enhanced his understanding of God as my shepherd. Um, and, and the different dynamics that, that set David up to have that practice of leaning into God in spite of what was going on in his life. And so when it comes to suffering, it's important that we check our foundation. And do we need to do some shoring up there? What is my understanding of who God is? Um, what is my understanding of who I am? Um, do I believe that I can be authentic with him? Um, do I believe that I can trust him? Am I going through the motions? Am, am I being um, dishonest in some of my spiritual practices even? How often am I singing the words during worship because that's what the people around me are doing, but I don't know if I actually believe these in this season. Um, the next one that we'll look at is others inflicted suffering. Psalm 41 was written when Saul was persecuting David for no fault of his own. And that is something that happens, right? There are times when our integrity is put into question when we didn't do anything wrong. We're the victim of gossip. Um, it, something has happened in our lives, a hardship that's just not fair. Uh, a job was lost. Um, finances are stretched, and we've been doing everything right. Uh, David understands that. He dealt with that. And we see some wisdom in Psalm 41. Uh, help me keep my mouth shut. This is, of course, my paraphrase of it. Um, and not sin in my anger. So it's, it's not denying that the anger's there, but meet me in that anger and help me not make this situation worse. I'll focus on you. So that reminder, look up. If I'm too focused on these unholy people around me, it's going to spiral. My anger will intensify. Um, I'm going to focus on you for you're my comfort and my strength. When I feel like I can't trust the people around me, I'm going to press into that trust that was formed with you. Um, when, I, when I dove into and, and learned how to stand on that foundation of you as my shepherd, give me wisdom as I navigate these complicated dynamics. There's not a clear solution, otherwise I would have already done it. And by the way, I sure hope their plans fail. And that is one of my favorite things about David is he is real honest about what it's like to be a human. You know, could you crush the heads of my enemies? That would really be fantastic. I'd like to see them suffer a little bit. And um, I realized that I might not be able to get myself out of this situation where I'm being wrongly, uh, you know, whatever the dynamics are that just feel real unfair. Um, but 
I'm kind of hoping that, you know, it'll fail on their ends. Like, I just love that honesty and that God gives space for us to, yes, please vent that out to me. Tell me what you're really thinking with this. Don't pretend to be good and pious and calm and sweet in the midst of these really complicated dynamics. Talk to me about it. We also have self-inflicted suffering. David is a great example of that. Psalm 53 is one of uh, the psalms written after David's affair led to the murder of a friend, the loss of a child, uh, marring of his reputation. There were a lot of consequences. A lot of suffering was a monopoly effect from David's choices. And that is sometimes the suffering that we're walking. It might not be the direct next thing, but it might be fallout domino 12 off of a choice that I made, a sin that I succumbed to, um, some, some selfishness that I wasn't ready to resolve, some ego that I didn't put into check. Um, and, and David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I recognize that I am off. I am not okay. Um, I am a person of depravity. And, um, and I lean into my holy God. Please don't leave me, but instead restore me. Make me closer to the person that you designed me to be. I have this tendency to pick up all of these created things and lean into all of these created things, thinking that that will sustain, that that will fulfill, but it just leaves me empty and hollow. And, um, and sometimes it creates some fallout that then I have to clean up. And I'm going to remember as I'm practicing this prayer that the sacrifice you really desire in this space of self-inflicted suffering is a broken heart, is a humble heart, is a repentant heart. A repentant heart saying, you know what, I blew it. And, and maybe my Blowing it was less about the magnitude of the action and more about the sin of thinking, I, I knew better than you did. The, the sin of climbing up onto that throne that you're meant to um, preside in. And then we also have family conflict, right? Heading into the holidays, we have to take a minute to look at that kind of suffering. David's familiar with that as well. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is helpful about David is his scenarios tend to be way more extreme than anything we'll ever encounter. So we might have family conflict that makes us feel real anxious about Thanksgiving. David had family conflict where he had to run for his life. Um, you know, so, so it's like looking at, all right, I appreciate your authenticity in that, and now how can I practice it? And also there's that sense of, oh, it makes me feel a little bit better that it's not as bad, like someone else had it worse. You know, it's that twisted way of, oh, man, I thought I had a bad scenario, but after listening to you, I actually kind of feel better about my own you know, stuff, I won't be super obvious that I'm feeling better, but holy cow, you're in a mess. Um, 
So Psalm 3, one of my favorite psalms, um, is David writing about family conflict. And it's family conflict. A lot of this is on his own stuff, which is similar to issues within our own family systems. It, you know, when, when we don't work through our things, when we don't pursue healing, when we don't pursue growth, there are ripple effects. And what system captures those effects more than a family system? David had some unresolved issues that we see the ripple effects in his kids. Um, you know, going out into the dynamics between the siblings and in kids to him. And so when he writes Psalm 3, he is um, fleeing from his son who wants his throne and would like to see David dead. That son has a lot of built-up issues towards David over business that David didn't have the guts to handle. And, um, and David says, it feels like everyone is against me. And sometimes when we have conflict or suffering within our own family, it can feel like the entire world. There can be this tendency to experience it as bigger than it is because it's closer to home. It's, it's closer to that inner circle. And it, and it's, um, can more easily rattle our core, our sense of worth, our sense of identity. And, um, and so David says, it feels like everyone's against me. They criticize and condemn me. So again, this sense of, I sure wish I could control what other people say and think, but I really can't. And it's hard to live in that reality. But you, O oh Lord, are shield around me. And what I love about that type of shield is that's the shield that was used when you were moving further in. And that is what we're called to do in our broken, messy, post-fall families is to figure out how do I not give up on these people? I can, I can make adjustments. You know, maybe I need to practice some boundaries. You know, maybe there's some distance for a season. It doesn't mean moving further in that we're all gonna live on the same street and see each other five times every single day and only talk to each other. Um, but it's in my spirit I'm doing the work of not giving up. I am holding hope that redemption is possible, that transformation is possible, that healing is possible, that uh, conversations in the midst of dramatic differences um, can occur. And he says, um, you're a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. And so that's that reminder that when we sense that God is asking us to move further into something that we want to flee from with our whole being, we've been checking real estate on that deserted island, um, that the only way we're actually capable of moving further in is when God is the one lifting our head. He is the one giving us hope. He is the one giving us strength to go at it another day. And then um, 
Another piece that I think is helpful when we're thinking about families, and this can also be close communities, this might be friends who've become family, uh, but in a season like this, it's important to look at the impact of polarization. It's not necessarily suffering, but it really goes hand in hand with the dynamics that we're talking about. So polarization can happen in a lot of ways, and we're in a season where it's perhaps more uh, common than we've seen, at least in our lifetimes. And polarization is this occurrence where you have dramatic differences on a topic, and the dramatic differences happen pretty quickly, and, um, and then those dramatic differences be, have a tendency to become aggressive. You're probably thinking of five recent conversations, maybe social media posts, and why you're anxious about Thanksgiving. And one of the things that happens with polarization is it can be really confusing for our insides when we had a sense of belonging with someone, and then an issue comes up and you realize you're on opposite sides of a canyon, and you're not quite sure how to reconcile that. Another piece with polarization is this first point that emotional repetition in isolation hooks our brain. Well, here's the catch. Media outlets have figured that out. There have been some really interesting studies on this, and it's becoming more dramatic. It is literally an adrenaline dose. Anytime you hear something, anytime you read something, the delivery is um, very isolated. There used to be an act um, that required media outlets to present at least two points of view. That no longer exists. And so you have this isolated, adrenaline-charged delivery of information happening on at least five different topics. I mean, if we whiteboarded it, I'm sure we could think of a number of topics. And some of them have to do with every single day choices. So we are constantly surrounded by this. Here's the catch. Our brains, our bodies, are not capable of holding that much adrenaline all the time. So we have two things happening as a collective culture right now. One is due to polarization and other dynamics at play, we are, have this base level of adrenaline constantly flowing inside of us and around us. It's really hard to get a break from that. The second piece is a collective grief. And so when you think about suffering, we already, if we could see, if we were, uh, could see our insides and, and picture ourselves as a beaker, Due to adrenaline and collective grief, we're already at a pretty high level. Just all the time, day to day, you add suffering, and no wonder people are losing their minds. It, we just, and when we think about the impact 
on our youngsters. It, we're not capable of, of holding this, of handling this. So we start with polarization because I truly believe that as Christ followers, part of our job, and please start with recognizing part of the reason polarization is so um, effective, and, and believe me, it's effective. Like people actually use this to manipulate. You know, part of the reason that it's so effective is there is a strong sense of right and really strong messages that if you budge even an ounce, the world will end, the country will collapse. But as Christ followers, it is our job to practice different. And I realize that is super hard um, but we have to practice it. And so a couple things um, with in how, what can we do? How can we respond to that? Um, these are from, oh, if we could go back to the polarization slide for a moment. So this is the High Conflict Institute. I love that. Um, I don't know, you know, it's, I'm not advertising for that particular institute. What I love is because polarization is becoming so common, we have a ton of resources like this of going, holy cow, people, we have to be able to have some type of conversation somewhere ever. So let's start a whole lot of different websites and resources on things like high conflict. So a few ideas from them. Uh, one is to address the adrenaline and emotion. So when we are highly charged, our executive functioning turns off, our ability to reason, to listen well um, is dampened. And so the first thing that we need to do is minister to that adrenaline, minister to that high emotion that we're experiencing so that our level can go down a little bit, our brain can turn back on, and we can move on with other strategies. Uh, the next idea is to expose yourself to diverse sources and perspectives. Um, be selective with that, start small, and probably not on social media. It helps when we see the real flesh and blood person to remind ourselves, oh, there's a heart behind a difference in perspective. And maybe it just starts with one question, you know? Um, Christina, I noticed you're wearing a mask this morning. Can you tell me about that? You know, how do you feel when I'm not wearing a mask next to you. You know, like, just start with a small conversation. Um, practice empathy and respect. So going back to some basics, human to human. We wanna unhook aggressive issue to aggressive issue and human to human. Um, what does it look like? How can I challenge myself to practice empathy and show respect even if I think you're an idiot? You know what I mean? Like, it's because we have inside, there's going to be, I mean, I'm smiling on the outside, but inside, when we've been walking in a polarized culture, there's an intense response and judgment 
about the other person. And so I'm acknowledging inside myself the truth of that and confessing to God, I'm no longer seeing this person as Aunt Nancy. I'm seeing this person as fanatic who I don't want to spend a holiday with. Help me come to a place of some type of respect. It doesn't mean that I'm saying I agree with you, but I'm respecting you as a child of God. Like I'm respecting you as a person of worth. And how do I reconcile that inside? And that just connects in with a practice that's always useful, which is keep tabs on your internal experience. It, another piece with polarization is we tend to function on autopilot. And so forcing ourselves to stop and check in and be honest about what's actually going on inside. And be selective about who am I sitting under? And is this person or entity that has become my primary source of truth, is they, are they someone that I actually, like if I'm viewing myself as a disciple and they're the one that I'm following, is that someone that I actually want to become more like? I might totally agree with their perspective on the world, but, but I've got to be careful that I'm not morphing into something that actually doesn't match up with like who I desire to be or who I think God you know, has asked me to be. Um, so just checking in on your internal experience with that. And then we're going to shift into when it comes to how to um, nurture through suffering, how to nurture through this collective polarization and collective grief. We want to think about ways to show nurture, and we're going to break it into different parts of the body and then um, how we can nurture each other. So we start with soul. Look up, especially when we're in a time when we're really caught up on a person or people or circumstance or diagnosis. We look up, remember. It, there's more than what's directly in front of me. We lean in. Sometimes that's a lean in in the warrior posture of I'm going to yield to you and get my marching orders. Sometimes it's a lean in in a um, friendship, intimacy. Um, you know, I just am so appreciating the closeness that I feel and the love from you. Sometimes it's a lean in and I don't have anything left and I am literally collapsing on your feet. We practice authenticity. So in what, however we're leaning in, whatever um, source of strength or where we're at in our relationship with him, the closeness that we're experiencing, we're practicing authenticity. And um, if we need to remember the fullness of that permission, we look to David's words. And, um, and then we, 
we try to connect in personal ways. So I'm a warrior personality. Um, the way that I feel closest to God is when I'm running or um, when I'm engaged in some type of action that I feel he's asked me to do. I feel the closest to him when I'm engaged in an action that makes me horribly uncomfortable. That's going to look dramatically different from someone who feels closest to him in solitude, who, um, you know, finding a silent retreat or um, hiking the prayer gardens or sitting in your backyard and enjoying the sound of the birds. It, so finding how do I connect with him in a way that matches his design of me. And, and then in that place of connection, anchoring into the truth of his promises. He gives us a lot of promises. We sing a lot of promises. Anchoring into the truth of those things, and out of that, I'm drawing strength to keep going. That this present suffering isn't the end of the story. Um, even if we don't know the end until we are um, reunited with him. But I am holding hope that, that there is a better future, you know? And I'm drawing strength from the fact that he isn't merciless, that suffering never occurs for no reason. Um, he doesn't... He doesn't play games, you know, he, he doesn't, uh, he's not a distant, like when we think about the Greek and Roman gods, you know, he's, he's not up there saying, oh, you know, you poor, stupid people. No, he took on the suffering. Like he is intimate and personal and knows exactly what we're experiencing. We also want to look at nurturing our bodies. We want to be careful that when we're thinking about things like nurture, we're not just piling guilt on ourselves. Um, you know, it's, it's that whole you go to the doctor because you're um, stressed and then he says like, well, just don't be stressed or, you know, go like get more sleep, get more exercise. And now you're stressed about sleep and exercise. You know what I mean? Like sometimes our idea of action can actually create more angst. And so, you know, we always want to think about how can I break this into something real small to get an experience of success and build it off of that. Um, but when we're thinking about nurturing our body, there are a few different angles that we can take this from dependent upon what the current need is. This requires some awareness of ourselves. So it can take some practice. You know, maybe nurturing your body starts with growing in awareness and understanding of your body. Um, so one set of things we can do is self-soothe. When we're thinking about high levels, adrenaline, um, grief, so when I'm thinking of high level, I'm thinking of things that can flood us with emotion, um, with racing thoughts, uh, with a sense of hopelessness, um, you know, suffering, like those are all dynamics that can really flood our bodies. And so sometimes uh, 
it starts with self-soothing. This can also come up, especially with um, topics of polarization, if we're dealing with a lot of anxiousness um, and fear of the future. I don't know if we're going to be okay. I don't know if we're going to need to move. I don't know if you know, my kids are okay. Like fear of the future can also flood us. And so in those times, we want to send messages to our body, you are safe. Now here's the catch with that. You might not totally believe that you're safe. You're sending those messages. It's kind of like when we think about caring for an infant, you're sending those messages to calm your insides a bit, whether or not you fully believe it, you're still gonna wanna practice utilizing the senses that we've been given to, to calm a bit, because even if the reality is that you're not safe, you're gonna need a fully functioning brain to come up with a plan. So self-soothing is always a positive thing. Experiment with the different senses, find what works for you. Some people put together a kit that they use when, um, when they're feeling you know, just really overwhelmed, um, when they can tell that their levels are pretty high, so they don't have to think about it in that moment. So maybe the kit is a comforting scent, um, a list of your go-to songs to listen to, a lotion, maybe something soft, something warm. And then we also wanna think about movement. And this isn't, uh, go back to the gym, this is our, when our bodies are full, uh, there's a lot of energy bouncing around, and um, the energy is designed to get our attention, but the catch is the energy needs to be released. This is why we tend to tighten up, um, why we can feel nauseous or have headaches. Um, it's that energy is pounding inside of you. And, um, and so finding even one option of some type of movement uh, that you can do for at least a few minutes um, just to try to get the edge off the energy, but also uh, it can help with getting both sides of the brain to work so that as our level goes down, especially adrenaline goes down and the brain starts to connect back in, when both sides of the brain are communicating with each other, we can think more clearly. So things like problem solving, um, prayer, it's um, you know meaningful conversation. It, we want both sides of the brain working there. And, um, and then restoration. I wanted to use that word instead of rest because I think rest is a guilt trigger. Um, so we're not saying find time to take a nap. Um, but what we are saying is look at your body as um, this tool that needs to be restored. We live in post-fall bodies. We can only go so long. We've put more on ourselves these past you know, 18 months than we probably ever have, uh, even if it's just thinking about internally what we've been experiencing. And so um, practicing restoration and determining what what is needed for you with that. If you had to pick one thing to help your body recover, what would that one 
thing be? Um, and then the other piece is gut health. There's been some really interesting research coming out on um, how gut health connects in with stress and anxiety, and stress and anxiety connect in with gut health. And so looking at that piece of it, that um, again, we're not saying go whole 30. You know, we have a tendency to like get dramatic in what we're expecting from ourselves when we're looking at an action step. Um, but we can think of what is one thing I could maybe do differently to minister to my body on the gut level as well. And then when it comes to nurturing your mind, the first thing is to identify the thought. What is the thought that's coming through? Um, maybe there are several different thoughts at play, and so trying to un um, pull them apart a bit so that you can identify what it is. Check it for truth. Um, that's really important to practice that, it, that we don't just take something as truth, but that we actually fact check it. Um, take action and or redirect. So thoughts are similar to feelings where they're trying to get our attention. They initially come in pretty loud. It's similar to a crying baby. It's trying to get our attention. And then they're meant to get our attention, deliver a message, and then be sent on their way. They're calling us to some kind of action. Um, so, so determining it, it doesn't have to be this big, broad action. Maybe the action is wait. Maybe the action is thank you for the insight. Now I know how to better pray. The other option is redirect. So if we find that the thought is not truthful or the thought is not helpful, then we work on changing the channel in our brain, focusing on other things, redirecting it by anchoring in to truth, checking our framework and our filters through which we run things. Uh, maybe I'm encountering thoughts that remind me of like old critical voices that I thought I had done a lot of work to move past. Well, you did, but then these past 18 months have you know, really rattled your insides and worn you out. And so the defenses aren't as strong and some of those critical voices are really coming in again. So we need to work on redirecting them while your body is trying to recover. And then giving yourself brain breaks that we can't swim on the bottom of the ocean all the time. And so sometimes we just need to take a break, you know, do something for fun. Um, and, and when we can control our breaks, we're less likely to take a break by acting out. And then nurturing our heart. Uh, this is a similar process to the mind where we start by identifying the emotion. And maybe my emotional vocabulary isn't super strong, so maybe I have a worksheet by me that lists out different emotions. So I can try to figure out what it is. The emotion's the message carrier. So when we identify it, it's our way of saying, I see you, okay, you did a good job getting my attention, and now I'm checking it for truth. 
And then I'm going to work to release the energy of the emotion. Uh, depending on my personality, I'll have a different go-to way of releasing it. Maybe it's through movement. Maybe it's through a contemplative exercise like writing, um, a, finding time for solitude so I can really think through my internal experience. Maybe it's processing. Maybe it's having a safe other to verbally process with. And then we determine action. And then the last one that we'll look at is nurture each other. So for this, we're thinking of lifter, that um, God is the lifter of our heads and that Part of our job on this earth is to lift the heads of those around us. And so with lifter, we think of listen. Now, this might take some prep work. Uh, I might not be at a place where I'm capable of good listening because I have too much going on inside. So maybe I need to do some focus on that first so that I can get back to a place of being able to actually listen. Invite, how am I doing with creating space? So invite might be a physical, tangible invite. In, invite might be, I'm creating space in my calendar. I'm going to carve out Thursday morning so I can consistently come to nurture. I'm going to open up a morning where I can invite someone to go for a walk with me. Um, invite might be, I'm creating room in my heart, you know? So we're thinking about where, um, where can I create some space? And then in that invitation is freedom of expression. You bring your real self. It, it doesn't mean we are best friends and sharing, you know, the, the bottom of the ocean kind of stuff, but it does mean whatever you're showing up with today, I can handle it. Like, just be your real self. And, um, and as you're processing through the suffering you're experiencing, I don't mind if your tone changes or if your word choice changes. Um, don't get embarrassed and apologize if a cuss word slips out. Like, just bring what you're experiencing to the table. Um, with that also, we live in a culture of urgency, especially in California. And when we're thinking about the process of lifting, when God's lifting our heads, when we're seeking to be the lifter of others, we're giving room. There's no timeline. That's really hard. We expect things to be resolved very quickly. And we have a tendency to lose hope when they're not. And so we're not saying that it's this endless open space where no action occurs. Like maybe part of my role as lifter is to help you brainstorm how can we take, like what can we do during this season of waiting? What can we do during this season of healing or restoration or holding hope that change is possible? Like we might be brainstorming action, but, but we're looking at, like, I'm going to confess my tendency to expect a really short timeline and to get critical of myself or others if it's not accomplished in that, that time that I thought it should be. 
that um, we look to be encouragers. And really what we're saying with this is that part of our job as Christ followers is to be hope bearers for other. That we do live in a world of tears, but we are holding hope that that it's not the end of the story. Um, that restoration is always possible. That, that change is always possible. And how we do that is we're in the practice of remembering, remembering the work of his hands, remembering the miraculous that he does around us and in us and through us. Remember the evidence of his care, um, the evidence of his intimate presence. We're remembering that he's the suffering servant. So we're pulling our remembrances from scripture we're pulling our remembrances from experiences before us. When we sing Amazing Grace, we're remembering that that was written by a redeemed slave trader. Show me anyone who has a stronger sense of human depravity. And to be able to actually say, you love me, you've redeemed me, and it was sung by slaves. So talk about people who are going to be more likely to succumb to hopelessness, to a, a false belief that this will never get any better. And yet they are clinging to the, the hope that, that God offers us. And then we're practicing remembering by keeping our eyes open as we're walking out this life that we are actively looking for signs of peace, signs of joy, good fruit, redemption. We're gonna close with the prayer of compliance. This is the last prayer of the night in more traditional um, like Anglican churches. And it says, keep watch, dear Lord, for those who work or watch or weep this night and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, give rest to the weary, bless the dying, soothe the suffering, pity the afflicted, shield the joyous, all for your love's sake. That is our commitment. That is why we keep going. That is our job to press into him in each of those spaces and to keep walking in this world full of tears, holding hope and room and space for people who are experiencing each of those things. So we're gonna shift into a time of discussion and the suggested prompt for that, but feel welcome to take it whichever direction your table needs is to share one way that you've practiced or received nurture in each of these categories. And, and don't feel pressure that that means each of you need to list something for every category, but just take the conversation where it needs to go and use this as a time of idea sharing. What are some things I can do to um, nurture myself in these areas? And what are some things I can do to nurture others in these areas?